I want to talk to you this morning about worship. And worship is a very powerful and dominant thing for us. Uh, it's a very powerful and dominant thing in our lives. And I, and I don't just mean in, in the lives of, of people at Pursuit. I don't even just mean in lives of, of people who follow Jesus or believers. I don't, I, I don't mean that. I mean worship is a powerful and a dominant part of every single human being across the face of the earth throughout all of history. When God created us, he created us to be worshipers. That's who we are. Uh, Ecclesiastes says that when God created us, he put eternity in our hearts, meaning there's something within us, just that naturally in us, that we understand that there is something greater than us. There's something within us that yearns and calls out for something that, that is greater than us, our creator. And what, what speaks to this almost fully proves it from, from an empirical evidence argument to me is that throughout all of history, despite race, nationality, culture, location, place, or time in history, every single human society that has bunched up together made something their God, made something and began to worship it. Every single one. Even in communist Russia, they still had state religion. There was every, every society from, from beginning of time to now, from when we were walking around or riding horses around to flying spaceships in space, nothing has changed that hardcore reality about who we are. We're worshipers. There's eternity in our hearts. We call out to that. That's just who we are. And the reality of it is, is every single person is worshiping something at all times. Every single person. And that's why when, when Jesus gets in the conversation with this woman and he says God is searching for this kind of worshipers, meaning there's a whole bunch of worshipers and a whole bunch of different kinds of worshipers, but he's looking for true, true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is seeking after worshipers, and all of us are worshipers. And the way that we know this is that, that right now, I mean, I, I want you to really just, if you're honest with you, just think back. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, and even if, if, if God is not the one that you worship, if God is not the one that you, you ascribe worth to, because that's all that worship means. <laughs> worship means that there is something in your life at all times that you're saying, this is what is worthy. This has the most worth. This is what life is about. This is what is most powerful. It is worship. It is this, this thing is worth. Now, that may be God. That may be, that may be for if you're a true believer and you put your faith in Jesus, that's obviously going to be God, our Father, our Creator, our Savior, our Redeemer. But even if you don't follow Jesus, and even if you haven't, you're worshiping something. Now, that could be as mundane and minute and temporary as something like money, or that could be as deep and philosophical as something like yourself. Worship myself. Have you ever checked out your social media account? Selfie. This way. This way. This is me working out. This is me doing this. This is me cooking. This is me doing this. I look back, I, I, went back and I, I had a moment with this. I realized the social media reveals something about ourselves. I went back a few years ago, and I, I just began to look through. Do you know what dominated uh, most of my pictures and most of my social media updates? Myself. And usually it was doing something that I humbly wanted to let you know about. I just wanted to humbly tell you I won this fishing tournament today. you see this? I just wanted to let you know I did something great here. Because I, I would never post a picture of me and just like, I just screamed at my wife for no reason. Right? Social media has given us a look into the human heart. 
It could be a job. It could be something. I'm telling you, you worship something. You put, you, you put something and you say, this is what has worth. This is what is most valuable. This is the thing, if I achieve it, if I obtain it, if I build it, if I get it, if I get more of it, this is the thing that will bring me joy. This is the thing that will bring me contentment. This is the thing so I will work for it. It will affect the way I make decisions. This is what my life will consist about. I worship this thing. Every single person has got that thing. And it changes sometimes in people's lives from season to season. Sometimes there's, there's multiple things. But we all are worshipers. All of us, we worship something. We don't like in modern society, we don't like to think about it like that, but that's what we do. We, we work for something, serve something, live something, working to achieve, build, obtain, get, call it mine, have it, to have peace, contentment, life, find success. There's something you put in what? That's worship. That's worship. And Jesus has gotten this conversation with this, this woman, and, and they, they, there's a bunch of reasons why they should not even be having this conversation. And there's a lot of power and depth into the fullness of the story, but I'm going to concentrate on the question that she asked and the answer that Jesus gave. And so after a few cool little revealing things that Jesus did, she became well aware there was something divine about this guy. He exposed something deep in her life. And she said, okay, it's clear that you're a prophet. It's clear that there's something divine about you. So let me ask you this question, Mr. Prophet. Let me ask you. You say that we should worship in Jerusalem. Samaritans, my people say that we should worship on this mountain. So where do you say that we should worship, Mr. Prophet man? And then Jesus gives an answer. And the answer that Jesus gives is one of the most powerful, revealing concepts of who God is and the ultimate mission of Jesus Christ. Because what we've done in modern society, and I want you to listen to me, what we've done is we have taken the gospel of Jesus Christ and we've combined humanism with it and we have made it human-centered. Think about the way that people preach the gospel of this. Think about the way that we, that we throw this out. Think about the things that we focus on, even some of them that are true. We, we've taken the exterior, we've taken the means to the end, and we've made it the end. Think about how the gospel is presented so many times. You were created. You were born into sin. God saw that sin in your life. You were separated from God. And so in order for you to be back in a relationship with God and, and be able to have blessings from God and be able to go to heaven and not go to hell, you need to give your life to Christ and follow Jesus so that you don't go to hell, that you can go to heaven and that you can walk through the blamas and the, and the abundant life of God. And we, we turn it all about the blessings and not going to hell and not going to heaven. I mean, that's how, I mean, I just, just for clarity, how many of us, I'd like to see how many of us like that, that was how you've heard the gospel presented most of the time not going to hell. Everybody's like, well, well, I went and got saved. I don't want to raise my hand. <laughs> Preacher was talking about hell, and he said it was going to be real hot, and I don't really like the heat. I like being inside. So I'm like, okay, Jesus, take me to heaven. Do you have air conditioning? So, but like, there's a lot, but that, that's how we present it. But the reality of the gospel is that you did not get saved so that you could go to heaven. That wasn't the end. You didn't get saved just to be forgiven of sins and just to get sin out of your life. That, that wasn't the end. Even just to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus so that you could be in just a relationship with God. Because a lot of us, the way we view our relationship with God, and I want you to hear me, and I want you to be honest with yourself, the way we view the relationship with God is that we put our faith in Christ so that we are forgiven of our sins, uh, so that we no longer are going to hell, that we're going to heaven, and now we can live our life holy and good, and God will come behind us and bless us and protect us as we live the life that we want to live. Not exactly the gospel. 
The reality of what the gospel is is that we would find Jesus Christ to be the majestic king, God, creator, lover that he is. And that we would, we would give our lives to him. We would begin to follow him. We would be saved from our sins. And yes, we would no longer be separated from God for all of eternity. And yes, we would be in a relationship with God. And yes, he wants to bless us. And yes, he is a good and loving father. But the point of it, the end goal of it, was that we would fall so uh, in love with God the Father that we would lay down our lives and worship him and serve him and give him the glory that he deserves in this life and for all of eternity. Now that's the gospel. That's the fullness of it. And there are some crazy amazing benefits to it. But the end of the goal was not to save you so that you wouldn't go burn in hell or that you wouldn't be or that you would just go to heaven and get wings and become an angel and flap around. Like that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came down to pay the price for your sins so that you could be in a worshipful, loving, growing relationship with the living and active Father that created you, so that in this life and in the next you will serve him and ascribe him the glory and the honor and the worship that he deserves. That's that's the gospel. That's, that's the gospel. And so it, 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 we struggle with the idea of worship because when you walk into the gospel under the impression that the whole world revolves around you, even faithfully following Jesus, you may think that everything is now about me and I have access to God and now I can start this business and I can do this and I can do that and I can go here and I can go there and I can live any life I want to live. And what we try to do, and you need to listen to me, we try to take the thing that we used to worship, bring it into our little lives and our little heart and now bring God in. And what we really want and we say, and even in our prayers, it's revealed that what we want is we want the, new, the God now that we worship to bless us in our old idolatry. Did that sting? Because that's how so many of us live our life. So we struggle with worship. We struggle with the concept. And, and, and the Bible says that he's coming to seek out worshipers. That's why we take it so serious what happens on Sunday morning. Corporate worship. We believe. We believe that there is power in coming together. We believe Jesus when he said, when, when more than one come together in my name, there I am in their midst also. We believe that when we come together on Sunday mornings and there is more than one and there is more than one and we come together in his name and we begin like in the Old Testament, we begin to worship him and lift up our hands. It says that the presence of God inhabits the praise of his people. We believe that when we come together, that it's not just songs and it's not just music. It's not just entertainment. It's not just the thing that happens before the message. It's not just something we do in the South on Sundays that we believe that when we enter in together and we begin to worship the living God that created the earth, that the presence, the tangible, practical presence of God comes down into this room and we begin to minister and worship to God and God begins to minister in love to us. And there's this beautiful thing that happens. It's not just songs. That's why we protect it. That's why we create atmospheres where all people can pursue life in Christ because we believe in what happens here. That's why we're okay, especially when new people come and they went to the, to the church down the road and back at their old church, they had a name on the back. They had their name on the back of the pew and that was their place and no, nobody else could sit there. And down the road was Nancy Young and then, and then it, was, it was Bobby Blue and Cindy Hall, whatever, over here. And this was, this was church. And we come in here and they're like, I want to sit over there. Well, we can't because worship's already begun and you're 20 minutes late because you valued something more important than worship. So you're going to have to stand outside or sit here in the back. What? I'm an American. I, I gave money to this church. I gave my money and I do service. No, you gave your money out of worship to God, not us. And we don't care. 
What I, I need everybody to understand is, 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 and there's a little bit of emotion here because the church is starting to grow and, and there's some people trying to bring the church they left and the religion that they left to come into this house. And I need to tell you something. You're not going to come in and mess up the atmosphere here because we believe in the worship and the presence and the power of a loving God. We will. Now, I'm telling you. If somebody, as God is my witness, if somebody walked in here with a weapon, I would die for every single one of you. And for the same love of God, I will ask you to go back to the church you left if you want to come and mess up what God is doing here. It ain't happening. I'm not giving him my money. We don't need it. My God created the whole world. Says that my God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. I remember when we didn't have nothing and all of a sudden we had everything. That's my God. You want to see me lose my ever-loving mind? You put finances in front of me. I'm going to take it. Take it. People cross their arms. What does he think he is? Telling me. It's okay if I'm late. No, it's not. It's not. You wouldn't be late to work. You wouldn't be late to work. You get fired. You get laid here, you got to sit in the back. That's how life works. We protect it. That's why we train our ushers. Everybody knows how to sit down. You ever think about that? You ever walk into a movie theater and everybody just stand around going, we forgot what happens next. <laughs> you ever drive into the parking lot at Walmart and everybody's just confused? I don't know. Do we just stop here? I don't know what. People know how to park. People know how to sit. We bring order to it because God is a God of order. He spent 7,000 years writing out the power of worship. He spent 7,000 years putting a book together filled with his truth. He sent his son to die on a cross. And so when it comes to worshiping the God who created me and the God who redeemed me and the God who saved me and the God who has a place for me in eternity, when it comes to that and your incessant needs, guess who loses? You. Because it's in the church down the street. God is in this house, and worship is serious. God is seeking after worshipers. It's a big part of the gospel. He's not just saving people to save people for fun. He's saving people so that they can be in a worshipful, loving relationship with God. And herein lies the problem is that when we, we, we try to take the, the life that we had and we try to bring in the old life and we try to mix it with God and we're trying to share the deepest part of who we are with, with the life that we once loved and the idolatry that we once had and, and the job and the corporate world and the old life, we try to bring that in and, and then stuff God in and it just doesn't work right. One or two things will happen. God will destroy in love destroy the thing that you love so he will take over the abundance of your heart or he will back off and you will fall back into idolatry one of two things but God will not remain he will sit on the throne of your heart or he will not be in your heart now that's the gospel that's the gospel so Jesus says I'm I'm calling out this woman's where, where do we worship in Jerusalem on this mountain where do we worship Mr. Prophet man and his answer is this. He goes, there's coming a time, and it is now here, when nobody will worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but we will worship in spirit and in truth. So she's talking about this physical location. And he, he answers the question that she should be asking. He's not talking about where. He's talking about the depths of how. See, the thing that you have to understand is that worship, true worship, is an experience of the heart. It's, it's an experience of what happens deep inside. 
And when that thing that you worship, that, it's, not just a, it's not just a physical thing. It's not just a, a, a mental thing. It's not just an emotional thing. It's not just a spiritual thing. It's, it's the entirety of your being. It's deep inside. It's in your spirit. It's where worship takes place. It's in your heart. Even, even before salvation, before, before putting your faith in Christ and, and, and God raising to life that, that spirit part of you, that God part of you, that eternal part of you that is dead in our sins, and God raises it up, that, the heart, the emotions, all of it. And, you, and you, you see it play out all the time. You see this reality play out all the time, that something takes place deep inside of you. You gain some information or, or you gain something or you see something that, that connects with something that you love, something deep inside of you, and it causes physical, uh, just like your body just starts to move. And I, again, I, I feel like I've been on this. I've said this a couple times, and, and I love football and I do this, but this is just the easiest way for us to understand this. So <clears throat> I'm not saying you can't love the Panthers because I love the Panthers. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that there are people that their, their personality, we don't, that's just not my personality to get all excited. And live. But then when Cam Newton throws a touchdown every seven games, you will run around in the front yard stripping your clothes off, screaming and singing and celebrating and high-fiving, and all of a sudden it's not my personality. You're just like breaking some federal laws in your front yard because one guy threw a pigskin to another guy and you freak out. And we see something when we love if, if you, you, your basketball team or your sports team, or I don't know, if you knit or something, like whatever it is that you do that you love when you, when something, when you get into them, they're like, they have a new knitting tool. And you're like, ha ah, ha, yeah. <laughs> right? We played, we had a golf benefit golf tournament yesterday, and, and uh, I was curious, but I, I now know for a fact I still am horrible at golf. That, and everybody, they're out there, the people that love golf, they're out there, they're all excited. They're like, saying stuff, they're speaking French. I don't know. They're just like, oh, the back drag and drop, drop down into the four street. Somebody was like, I got a 78. What'd you, what'd you get? I'm like, is this a basketball? I don't understand. I got, I mean, my team, I'm really good at driving. That's my greatest strength. I drive around the people that can actually play golf. But like you, you just sit, I'm sitting there and they're like, they're like, boom, did you see that? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, woo! And I'm like, that's... A... But basketball now, I'll be playing one-on-one basketball, and I'm losing my mind. I mean, there's nobody guarding me, and I'm swishing, I'm running around by myself, high-fiving invisible people. I am not kidding. Because <laughs> I love basketball. There's something inside. There's some, I'm telling you, that, that, that's a part of who we are. You let somebody get, get a raise. If, if money is their God, you let somebody get a raise or, or a stock go crazy... Dude, I mean, they will throw a cookout. They're coming home, they're like, dude, we're having to get some steaks. All right, we're going to we get to, we're gonna get, be able to get the car we're going to get. We got to put it on Facebook. We got to tell our neighbors, call mom. Somebody call my mom. Tell her, I told you, you were wrong about me. I'm somebody. <laughs> got a 25% raise a day, and you lose your mind. You're telling everybody you meet. You're walking in the coffee shop, you're like, hi, how you doing? No, I just got a raise a day. Yeah, it was good. Super excited about it. You ever meet these people? These are the people we don't like. <laughs> right? If, if, if material is your thing, if that's your thing, materialism is your thing. If, that, if that's just, you're like, you man, you get a new car, I mean, you, I mean, in your mind, no music is playing, but in your mind, there's just like, just celebration, gangster rap. There's people in the back seat, you're just riding down, window down, listen to music, like you own the world. Because that thing that you worship just got, got some new information. That, that, that's what happens. We, we get something deep within us. 
and there is a physical attribute. So when people are just like, well, I just, I don't really know. I just, you know, worship. I just like to drink my coffee, get to the message, you know, and stuff like that. And we just do that. And I, the music's kind of too loud. And I need to go back to the original. The original? What are you talking about? The original? Everybody's like, we need to sing the original music. What? The hymns. Do you know what a hymn is? It's been hymns for 2,000 years. Everything changes. We just got better music now. Our generation's different. It's di I mean, the power of the words are powerful. The message never changes. But I hear people all the time, no, you just need to bring back the organ. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, it's just hard for us to worship in that. It's impossible for me to worship. I fall asleep. I've heard Amazing Grace with a guitar in the background, and I love it. I've heard Amazing Grace without a guitar in the background, and I didn't listen to it because I fell asleep before it was over. And that may speak to me, and there's people that are judging me right now. Well, if you love God and you could worship him with anything, eat your own medicine. <laughs> I didn't grow up with that stuff. That, that's not, that's not the, the real thing. What we do is the real thing to me and my generation. Right? And, and frankly, you'll be dead before we will. So it's just a math thing. And I love you, right? And we got earplugs out there for you. I know, I know. People get them. Well, if you need earplugs, then that's just, that speaks to what? To what? What does it speak to? All the time I tell people, they complain for years. I'm like, why are you still here? The people of Israel complained and God killed them. Do I need to go get a gun? I'll never understand every week. Complain, 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 complain. One year, two years, three years, four years. I'm like, bro, what? Just what? What? You don't like it. There's 75 churches with organs right down the road. Go pick one. There will always be old songs and always be new songs. It's about what's going on in the heart. Worship is an experience of the heart. And I know for some of you, it's easier to worship. I get that. I understand that. For the same reason, I would struggle to, to, to do the Gregorian chant from like 400 years ago. That's literally where they just take one word and they just go, Jesus, saved us for an hour. Okay. There's always going to be old and there's always going to be new. Those people, I mean, they thought that was it. They were convinced this is it. When they first brought the organ in the church, did you know that there were riots? Because the only place they found the organ and the piano was where? Them alcoholic bars serving alcohol down there. Never mind that Jesus made like 20,000 gallons of wine for his first miracle. Alcohol is a sin. Even though it doesn't say it anywhere in the Bible, get that organ out of here. So when you were 20 years old and your grandparents were saying, they're bringing the devil's music in here with that organ, and you were like, no, we like the organ. Same thing. History does not repeat itself. I mean, history always repeats itself. That's just what we do. Every generation finds its own way to worship. This is, this is us. This is who we are. This is how we like to corporate worship. But worship is so much more than what happens on Sunday morning. It's important. Incredible. Corporate worship off the charts important. But it's so much more than that. It's a lifestyle. See, a lot of people come in and they'll, they'll sing songs. And I'm, I'm, I get to message. 
Jesus says, you got to worship in spirit and in truth. So a lot of times what, what we do, that spirit, I don't, I don't, this is not, I've heard this when I was younger, and it's not the greatest analogy, but it can make it help make sense. The, the, if you imagine if we're trying to create heat, you need a few parts to it. And one of the things you need is the furnace. You need a furnace. If, you, if, you, if you're in your house and you just set some stuff on fire in your living room, it's not going to go well with you. But you need a furnace, the, the spirit, our spirit inside of us, what, what, what Jesus is talking about. And I know some of your translations capitalize it. That's wrong. I'm just, that's just flat wrong. That's not, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit right there. The Holy Spirit plays a significant part in this. But that right there, he's talking about the spirit, the inside of us, and the idea of the spirit. It says God is spirit. Every time Jesus talks about the spirit or the Holy Spirit, he says the Holy Spirit. That's how I know he didn't say the Holy Spirit because he didn't say it. Us capitalizing is because some people couldn't agree on something. They voted on it in 1980-something, and they just decided to capitalize it, and they're wrong. This is not, it's talking about the spirit inside of us, spirit and truth. So the spirit, that's the furnace. That, that, that's the deepest part of you. When you give your life to Christ, you put your faith in Jesus, and the whole, the, the, what, what the Holy Spirit does is it comes in and it brings back. When we go talking about being raised to life in Christ, that's the spirit that's raised to life. Like your, your, your mind, your will, your emotions, that's your soul, the physical body, that, that's, 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 your, that's your body. There's three parts to a spirit, soul, and, and body. It's in the scripture. I can show it to you very clearly and easily. The spirit's the, the furnace. That's where worship takes place. Before you know Christ, it, it's still there's the heart. It's just that, that deep internal part of who we are. That's the spirit. It's the furnace. And so what the truth is, it's reality. That word truth just means reality versus illusion, the truth, what is. And we believe that the scripture paints and tells the, the picture and the story of our reality of what truth is, the way that God created the world, the way that God redeemed us, the, the true nature of human beings, right? the, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the gospel in its entirety, all the way down to the wisdom and the practical application that shows up like in Proverbs. The fullness of this paints a very real, there is nothing, no question you can ask that cannot be fully answered within the scripture. I believe that. There is depth to it. It talks about the mysteries, the hidden mysteries of God. There's, there's depth to this. This is the truth. And, and what happens is, is, is that if you've got the furnace of spirit, the, the truth, the reality is the fuel. It's the fuel to the spirit. So you've got the, the spirit, the worship is an experience of the heart. It takes place in here. And then you've got the truth, the reality, the gospel, the reality of God, the majestic beauty, all-powerful, loving God. That is the fuel. But you can't, even if you have a furnace and fuel, you still don't have fire and you don't have heat. This is the part where I want you to listen to me. Jesus isn't looking for worshipers who just worship in spirit. And he's not looking for worshipers who just worship in truth. Because there's a lot of entire denominational beliefs that just kind of cut out that emotional, that side of us, that deep side of who we are. And they just want to fill churches and fill people with a whole bunch of knowledge that stays up here and never makes it down to the depths of your spirit. I know people right now that have substantial, highly educated, highly intelligent, doctrinal, theological geniuses, so much knowledge, and as God is my witness, they don't even know the Lord. It's the same way, like I have some base knowledge of like Buddhism. I have the base knowledge of Mormonism. I have the base knowledge. I know I, know I have a lot of knowledge because I've researched and I've studied because I want to know what other people think. I don't believe it, but I know it. And that's the same way. There's so many people that sit on the pews of America, especially in the Bible Belt Southeast where church is just a thing to do. You've heard the gospel 5,000 times. 
There's scriptures that you could even quote. You know more knowledge than you would ever think because you've heard it. It just has never made it down here, so it's done nothing for you. And you sit in a pew long enough and you listen to something long enough, you will convince yourself, oh, I got this thing figured out. That's how religion begins. I've got some knowledge up here. I, I know how to play the part. I can do the thing. You come to church, you put some money in the offering plate, you sing some songs, you do the thing, you wear the right clothes, you say the right things, and, and you just you mark Christian on some stuff. And then you get to go to heaven, maybe. That's real. Like, that's religion. By definition, that's what that is. So you can have all kinds of truth, all kinds of reality, all kinds of knowledge, and not even know the Lord, let alone grow in a relationship with the Lord. Then you, the spirit, the, all that, that, the fullness of who we are inside. If you don't have any, go back to the football thing. We can do some pretty stupid, crazy, weird things for some pretty stupid, crazy, weird reasons. And when that fullness of who you are, if you don't have the truth, human nature is to make your own truth up. Hence the rock that becomes our God. Yep, that stick I found in the woods yesterday, that created all life. Yep, the sun up there, that's hot, that's, I like that, so that's God. We just pick something and we start making up our own truth. We just, take, we just start picking and choosing. This is where, let me get real for a minute, we'll start picking and choosing even from the scriptures. We'll put together our own little box of religion. So spirit without truth is just craziness, worthlessness. And truth that doesn't make it into your spirit is of zero benefit to you. Now that when it comes in, the power of the Holy Spirit. See, and there's a lot of backgrounds that they don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. See, you can, the concept of God, you can kind of control that. The concept, not God. Try that, see how that pans out for you. But you can kind of control the concept of God. You can even, you can even build a building, put a cross on top of it call it a church, start talking about Jesus and some cool things with Jesus and all the blessings and all the stuff, and you, you can go, you can go deaf. But when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, nobody knows what to do with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is off the charts powerful. The Holy Spirit is the real tangible presence of God, not the philosophical concept or idea. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God upon this earth. People struggle with this, but you need to read your Bibles more. I always ask this question to people. When's the last time Jesus did something for you? Jesus did something for you. 2,000 years ago. Because Jesus said, I have to leave so the Father can send the Holy Spirit. And he said, it's better that I go so the Father can send the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father and I'm going to intercede for you. And that's what Jesus has been doing. Sitting at the Father, right hand of the Father, interceding for you. And God the Father sent the Holy Spirit into this world. That is the presence and the power of God in this life. And that's what we feel. It's the presence of God. And I need you to understand something. I need you to hear me. I need you to listen to me. When the Holy Spirit, so you've got the furnace that is your spirit, that deepest part of who you are, and you've got the truth, the reality, the gospel, the fullness of it. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life and ignites that spirit, he can take that truth and bring it from up here to down here, and that is when your life begins to radically change. 
the Holy Spirit. And then, see, that's the thing where people, people talk to me about the pressure. There's a lot of pressure in this, in what I do. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of work. And, and I feel like I'm 10 steps behind. But do you know, believe it or not, the last thing that really brings me a lot of pressure is the preaching. Do you know why? Because I can't save you. That's not, I can't do that. All I can do is proclaim the truth. The Holy Spirit takes the truth that I'm proclaiming, takes it and moves it in your ear, in your little brain, and down into your spirit and radically changes your life. It doesn't, Jesus didn't say the Holy Spirit will come. Uh, he said the Holy Spirit will come and teach you all things. He didn't say Jordan or some of the preachers going to come and teach you all things. So when I stand up here, that's why I can stand up here and there can be 500 people in this room and I can preach the same message and 500 people will be like, he preached that message just to me. He's so good. No, I'm not. That's the Holy Spirit taking the truth, a nugget of truth, the gospel, the reality, and piercing it into the deep part of your spirit. When you do that, and he's the fire. That's why when John the Baptist said, Jesus, when Jesus comes, he goes, there's one coming. I baptize with water, but there's one coming. Talking about Jesus who will baptize you, immerse you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will take the truth of God that is just knowledge to someone else and he will bring it from your brain into your spirit and set you on fire for the name of God. When the Holy Spirit begins to come in and he gets involved and especially like Jesus said, if you begin to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit to begin to move in your life, Holy Spirit, he's the one that brings you to Christ. He's the one that draws you into Christ. He's the one that makes the Bible and the gospel real to your life. And you know this feeling. I need you to listen. You know this feeling. You've heard the gospel a hundred times, but all of a sudden there came this one moment in time in your life when you were sitting there listening to somebody preach or having some conversation. And all of a sudden, the thing you've heard a hundred other times, all of a sudden as you hear it, something happens inside of you. All of a sudden, it's different. All of a sudden, tears start. Now, all of a sudden, you can almost feel the, your, the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. All of a sudden, you, you just got goosebumps. All of a sudden, now all of a sudden, it's like you're just in a room and you just hear it. And it's so clear and it's so evident. And you just come to this knowledge. I know God. God is the creator. God is the Lord. Jesus is the Savior. I know. And all of a sudden, what you've heard a hundred years, it moves from here to here. And your life changes. That's the Holy Spirit that does that. See, when we don't know what to do with him, we just kind of combine the roles of Jesus with the roles of the Holy Spirit, and we just kind of cut the Holy Spirit out. Hence why I believe the American church has been taken over and dominated by religion, and our country is falling by the wayside because we discontinued the power of God that he sent into the earth to help us. Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send the comforter, the paraclete, the helper. He's going to come and teach you all things. When you cut the Holy Spirit out, all you got is a brain filled with knowledge that you can't do anything with. But if you let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do and begin to take truth, pierce it into the deepest part of your spirit, that fire, you got the fire, the spirit, and the truth just gets hotter. The heat that comes from that, that's worship. The result of that taking place in your life is worship. This is why some people, when we sing the song, do it again, and we sing about God, you've never failed me. God, you are faithful. God, you are holy. Somebody can just sip coffee and stare at the screen, and somebody else is at the altar with their hands raised, pouring their heart out and their eyes out because they actually believe in the fullness of their heart that God is faithful. He, God, the Holy Spirit has taught them that, and so they understand it's not just a song. It's not just a lyric. It's not just a thing. God is faithful. God has never failed me. God always comes through. God always provides. I know that it's real. And there's just something. It's like when it's like when Newton throws a touchdown or whatever else happens. It's the same thing. It's just this time it's true worship designated to the Father in spirit and in truth. 
See, and I'm going to tell you something. I remember the way this works is like when the Holy Spirit makes something real to your life, you just, you just can't help the worship. You can't help the worship in song. And you just, there's something that just happens. But then it just starts to alter your life. And I'll tell you this, as simple as it sounds, I'll never forget the day. As dumb as it sounds, when the Holy Spirit truly took the truth, this truth I'm about to tell you and put it in from here to here, and that was that God created me. This guy's the preacher and he just realized God created him? Hmm. It was a while back. But I remember it. I remember I was sitting there and I'd always known God on some level God created me. But all of a sudden one day it just hit me. I was like, God created me. God, God, God created I'm alive because God gave me life. Uh, my, my parents birthed me, but God formed me. God created me. I breathe right now because he put breath in my lungs. I, I am who I am. I have an opportunity to live and walk the earth because God created me. Listen, and it hit me. Even if, if Jesus never came, even if I never knew Jesus, and even if I died and was still eternally separated from God, the reality that I have an opportunity to live is because God, a living, active, powerful God, gave me life. Despite anything that may happen, and if I get nothing else from him, I still owe him every second of my life because he's the source of my life. He is the greatest thing. He's the great. He, he is the also, He's God. He's sovereign. He, he created me. He's all powerful. And then another thing, death. I'll never forget this day it hit me. Death. Death is real. Death will come. You will taste death. Everybody in this room, barring that Jesus doesn't come back, everybody in this room, tomorrow or 100 years from now, you will taste death. And what? That just hit me. God created me, and, and he is, there's nothing else more worthy than God, and death will come. And so no matter what I do in this life, when I die, it's all for naught. No matter what kingdom I build myself, no matter how much money I have in the bank account, no matter what I do, all the temporary things that I chase, when I die, it's nothingness. Life is, as in Solomon says, meaningless. And it hit me, and I'm like, dude, it's God. I need to live for God. God, God's the most, God is what is most worthy. He gave me life when death comes. Nothing else matters. God is the one that stands outside of time. God is a creator. I need to worship him. And then when you throw in the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you throw in the reality that I was born into sin, and I know I was born into sin because no one had to teach me how to be a lying little manipulative brat. I just knew how to do it on my own because I was born into sin. And I, God gave me this life, this opportunity to live, and I spit in his face, and I chose a few seconds of pleasure over the greatness and the power and the loving relationship with God. I wasted what he gave me, but in his love, instead of destroying me or taking away that gift, he sends Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his love to pay the price that I paid to die the death that I was supposed to die, to take on the wrath of God so that I could be in a loving relationship with him. And all I've got to do is put my faith in that reality in Jesus Christ. Now what on earth is worth more to me than that? The God that created me, the God who loves me, the God who redeemed me, the God who saved me. And all of a sudden, when those realities come in, there's just this, I know God is, that's why I lay my life down for him. That's when I knew everything in my life, from my mind and my thoughts and my desires and my tongue to preach and to speak and my body and my marriage and my kids and my resources, everything that God has given me, the fullness of what makes me all needs to be for the glory and the honor of God because there is nothing else worth more in this life than him. You don't get there with simple knowledge. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes that truth 
sometimes in a moment and sometimes over time and he pierces in it and then you you get to see reality and then when there's just this natural thing and all of a sudden the touchdown just doesn't mean as much as it used to and all of a sudden the pay raise just doesn't mean as much all of a sudden some girl some guy don't mean as much that's because you're getting filled with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and you see that those things are actually worthless and so your whole heart and your life and the trajectory of everything you are begins to change and worship is no longer the three songs we sing on Sunday. Worship is the opportunity to praise God, thank Him, and celebrate the reality of who He is, the majestic, all-powerful, loving God. And we begin to live for Him day after day after day. So I have one question for you. If you don't know how to worship God like that, why? What piece to the puzzle is missing? See, because when you begin to realize that, that's why I study the Word of God the way I do. Because it's truth, it's wisdom, it's reality, it's powerful. And the Holy Spirit can take it in here in my life, alters and changes. What you worship will be what you become in this life. The more you learn to worship, the more you learn to, you will slow. That's why the Bible says from glory to glory we will be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. You worship money, that's what will take over your life. You worship some marriage or some idea, that's what will take over your life. Whatever you worship, that'll be what the directory of your life, that'll be what you become. And so it's not the Holy Spirit. And it's not the truth, because the truth is there. That's why we need to do exactly what Jesus said. When he told Peter, he said, I got a mission for you. I got a life for you. I got a purpose for you. I need you to do all these things. But before you do, go to Jerusalem and do not leave there until the Holy Spirit comes. But when the Holy Spirit came in Peter's life, Peter had a whole bunch of knowledge. But when the Holy Spirit came and moved in Peter's life, clothed him with power from heaven, it radically changed every piece of knowledge he had and became real. So I'm telling you right now, we need to begin as a church to cry out for the Holy Spirit that drew us to Christ. For the Holy Spirit to begin to teach us all things. Take the truth and the reality. Drive it deep into us. Draw us to Him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He draws us to Christ. Draw us deeper into Him. Fill us so that we can lay down our lives for Him. We have to cry out to God. We have to worship. It's not just songs. It's not just lyrics. It's not just music. It's not just life. Every part of who we are, we have to understand in our heart there's nothing worth more than God. So we lay our lives down. And in worship, as Paul says so beautifully in Romans, it is our reasonable act of worship to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice, to live every second of every day for the glory and the honor and the power of the God who created us the God who saved us, and the God who will draw us into eternity with him forever. You guys will stand.